In September of 1998, Tony Hawk was invited to Neversoft Studios to look at a prototype of a skateboarding game that they were designing. Neversoft was looking for the aid of a professional skater to continue development of their skateboarding sim. At this point, they had created a prototype based on their previous game Apocalypse, which was a third-person shooter released for the Sony PlayStation, starring Bruce Willis. So Tony Hawk was sat in front of a rough game with Bruce Willis flipping tricks on a skateboard. Luckily, he was impressed, signed on to work with the series, and the result was Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, which was originally released in September of 1999. Today, we're going to tell you the whole story of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater and include the history of its development studio, Neversoft. So stick around and watch us nail all these sweet tricks as we take today's trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 161st episode of our video game history podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we'll tell you a story about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. It can be about a game, a console, a person, just something relevant to this week in gaming history. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the topic, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world in its legacy. Today, we're all going to learn about Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, the skateboarding video game originally released on September 29th, 1999 for the Sony PlayStation. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who just bragged to me that he finally nailed that skateboarding trick he's been working on for months. He's my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, what was it like to finally nail that chicken wing frontside ear? Well, Dave, it was tasty. Very tasty. Very tasty. All right, so pop quiz. Did I make that up or is that an actual skateboarding trick? Mm, that's an actual trick. It's an actual trick. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. It's a tuck knee indie where the skater tweaks it front side normally on a tuck knee indie you tweak it behind your back knees pointing down with this board behind your back but uh uh chicken wing front side is the same move but with it in the front side also known as a wig air yeah that yeah yeah yeah, yeah we know all the skater stuff yeah that's where you grab the rail with your backhand like flip it behind you yeah okay cool similar to a japan ear <laughs> I'm just that. I mean, so yeah, these, these are tricks. We're skateboarders. What are we playing this week, Dave? We've we've played all of the Tony Hawk Pro Skater. We know all of the chicken wing frontside flips. Mm, it's been quite a while for me, Dave. <laughs> what am I playing? Uh, I think the only things I've touched in the last week have been Rocket League and Tears of the Kingdom. Hmm. That's a safe bet. How about you? Well uh rocket league runescape are always a safe bet i also played a little bit of age of empires that's true i was still mad at you for not specifically calling me out you know i love real-time strategy games hey man we were in that chat for like five hours and you didn't join us that's on you i didn't know y'all were there 
I don't know what to tell you on that one, Dave. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that's it. I think it was just uh, just those few this week. It's been a lot of RuneScape. It do so, be like that sometimes. It do. It do indeed. But my uh, my second account finally surpassed my first account. So yay. Well, you know the game. I know that for a fact. Yeah, I do. Yeah, we've played a lot of Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Yeah, I'd say would, so. Would you say you played the original? Probably the later ones more than the original, huh? Definitely more the later ones, but I, I have definitely played the original a time or two. Um, I don't know exactly which one would have had majority of my time, but I definitely played all of them within the series, at least starting with the stand the pro skaters i didn't really get into the underground as much gotcha 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 so in the late 80s and early 90s there was a comic book publisher called malibu comics they were headquartered in calabasas california they were best known for the ultraverse line of superhero comics Um, But they also published a series called Rocket Comics. Rocket Comics were like, there's one of each, but there's like a Metallica comic, a Pantera comic, and a Black Sabbath comic. That's pretty cool. Also, there was one other like pop singer they did one for, and then a bunch of other heavier bands. I was like, what the hell? Hmm. Malibu Comics also published comics in the Mortal Kombat universe. They published comics in the Street Fighter universe. They just had a smattering of comic books all over the place. In 1991, they merged with a software company named Acme Interactive, and together they formed Malibu Comics Entertainment Incorporated, and they kept the software company as a division named Malibu Interactive. So Acme Interactive became Malibu Interactive, and they turned into like this media conglomerate. Now, Malibu Interactive developed some real gems during the SNES and Sega Genesis era. Uh, We owned a couple of these, actually. Bassmaster Classic Pro Edition, I owned that one. Uh, Desert Strike, I owned that one. I don't think I own the rest of these. Also, they made Dinosaurs for Hire. What? Evander Holyfield Deal Boxing. Ooh. Sequest DSV. And a game called Time Tracks. They have a whole library. Those are just some of the highlights. Yeah, I, I can't say I've heard of a single of them. Single yeah, one of I, them. I played a lot. I don't know why, but that somewhere in that time period, I had a real thing for fishing games. Like a real thing for fishing games. I mean, I get it. I still enjoy them, bitches. Yeah, that's true. It's very, very true. I remember sitting like for like, let I me mean, come on. You know, that time period for me, you go to school, you come home, play video games all day on the week. And then you some... say that like, that's not still what I do, Dave. I just yeah, don't go to school. I go to work. Yeah. And I can remember spending weekends like an entire weekend just fishing. And it's so weird to think of now, but it was fun. It was a lot of fun. So as we already know, Games for these earlier systems, they could be developed by smaller teams. They were teams of anywhere from two to ten people. And as time went on, it seemed that the management at Malibu Interactive was really starting to focus on making games with lesser of those two numbers. So with this in mind, the head of development at Malibu Interactive, Joel Jewett, 
was looking for a change of pace because he felt that he was just managing projects that were, you know, small projects and the team would be constantly shrinking because of the, you know, them always trying to make more with so little. So he teamed up with a programmer, Mick West and an artist named Chris Ward and the three of them left Malibu and they founded Neversoft in July of 1994. They initially found work with Playmate Interactive, which was the media division of Playmate Toys. Playmate had a cartoon series that was getting ready to premiere on television and actually premiered in September of 1994 on TV. And of course, them being a a toy company, you know, they had planned on toys and uh, video, a video game to go alongside this cartoon. I don't know which was first, whether it was a toy series that they wanted to make a cartoon on or a cartoon they wanted to make a toy series on. Back then, they kind of planned it all at once. So let's just assume that, that it was planned in its entirety. So Neversoft was hired to create the Skeleton Warrior video game. Now, Skeleton Warriors, a cartoon series, debuted in September of 94, and it lasted like 13 episodes. It didn't really amount to much. But the video game kind of did. In order to develop Skeleton Warrior, they Neversoft had to hire another artist and a level designer. So the five of them worked on developing Skeleton Warrior for about five months, and then Playmates canceled the game. Or rather, they canceled that version of the game. They decided at that point that the game needed to be developed for the Sega Saturn. So the Sega Genesis version, which it was planned for, was scrapped, and they started work on a Sega saturn version i'm Never sorry saw... saturn yeah we we've said that a few times and every time you just do this the sega saturn which you have zero clue what a sega saturn is yeah uh, I, I, I still have to do an episode on a sega saturn i think you do because that would really help me remember it because you know it's just i hear it once and then it just goes away because i know i know nothing about it it's the system in between there was one system in between the genesis and their last one the dreamcast and that was the saturn and I mean, obviously, you know, it it was so popular because, you know, it so well. <laughs> so, yeah, honestly, it's crazy. Just like, you know, I'm, I'm I've been I told you, you know, before we hit record that I've been researching topics for, you know. Next year, moving forward, <clears throat> and it, it dawned on me, do you remember Atari's last system? Uh, good. Not no, not not by name or anything. I'm sure if you tell me, I might know it. But like, the last system that they made before they decided to get out of the console business was the Atari Jaguar. Oh, yep, definitely don't know that one. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, we've never done, we've never done an episode on the Jaguar, Atari's last, Atari's last uh, system. So you know, yeah, nope, unfamiliar with the Jaguar. What the hell? I did not fit that into the schedule yet. I don't know if I'm going to, because sometimes when you do it the way we do it, where you have to, you know, do it by dates, which kind of pigeonholes us sometimes, and you have three or four topics that can exist during the same week, you got to be picky. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. hundred percent. So, yeah, creative. So, yeah, I know I do sometimes like instead of the day it came out, I've been looking at the day it was discontinued. Mm. Yeah, there you go. So they worked on the Sega Saturn version. Sega Saturn was a different development process. So over the course of development, they had to hire more people. They needed, they wanted to get the game out rather for the 1995 holiday season. 
And in order to support that process, they had to hire three more programmers, five artists, a level designer, a tester, and an office administrator to make it all work. And they did. They managed to finish the Saturn version of Skeleton Warriors in time for the 1995 holiday season. Then they were asked to port the game over to the Sony PlayStation in 1996. While working on the port, Neversoft continued to grow to over 20 employees while also looking for other projects to work on. They found partners in Crystal Dynamics, who hired them to work on a game based on the Ghost Rider IP, but that game was also canceled after six months due to financial problems with the publisher. While working on Ghost Rider, Neversoft started to develop their own project, which they titled Big Guns. I just like the name of that, Big Guns. It's a pretty good name. It's a it's a great name. The technology they developed for Big Guns was used in their next paying job, which was a conversion of a PC game called MDK. Do you remember the MDK games at all? Uh, what, 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 what's there MDK? were two. There were there were two of Murder, Death, Kill, and there were two of them. No, that I mean, no. Yeah, there were two PlayStation. I mean, it was a PC game, but they ported the, the both of the PlayStation. Yeah, I don't recall that one at all. So towards the end of 96, Neversoft had a breakthrough, and they managed to sell the idea for big guns to Sony Computer Entertainment, SCEA, and began developing began developing it. They got the green light to do the project, and they, they, got, they, they started it. But the following year, 1997, was not very kind to them. The PlayStation port of MDK took way longer than expected, and Sony kept demanding change after change of their Big Guns project before Sony pulled funding on the project altogether in November of 1997. Because of all this, the company had to downsize from, you know, somewhere over 20 employees to just 12. And as a result, they began shopping around the technology they developed for MDK, their big guns engine, so to speak, while also looking for more development work. Things were looking real bleak as they came into 1998. In January of 98, the company had just about run out of money. But lucky for them, Activision came knocking at their door. Activision was looking for someone to redevelop a failed internal project that was codenamed Apocalypse. And as it turns out, the engine slash technology that they had developed for big guns was really ideal for the Apocalypse project. It got to Activision, it impressed Activision, and they came back to Neversoft to hire them to work on the Apocalypse project. I don't know if we'll ever have an excuse to talk about Apocalypse again, but it's relevant to our topic today. So here we go. Okay. Apocalypse is a third person shooter game released for the Sony PlayStation in November of 1998. It features actor Bruce Willis, who provided the main character's likeness and voice. It uses the same game engine that Neversoft had originally created for their Big Guns project. Bruce Willis was, as they called it, cyber-scanned, motion-captured, and voice-recorded. His lines were recorded in the studio, the performance was motion-captured in a film studio, and it was all put together for this game. Starring alongside Bruce Willis as another character named Plague was an American singer named Poe, who was also cyber-scanned, as they called it back then, motion-captured and voice-recorded. I don't remember Poe. Do you remember Poe? 
that does not ring a bell. I had to ask Lacey too, because she was kind of a popish singer, I think. And Lacey doesn't remember Poe either, but apparently she had a number of hits in the mid nineties that I guess just, I wasn't into that style of music back then. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. The sound, the soundtrack for apocalypse features songs from various bands, including Poe and system of a down. And as an interesting note from the game, its environment included live action music videos from these artists that were projected on large screens within the game's environment. And that was kind of a big deal at the time, because technologically it was kind of something that wasn't really being done. I mean, this is still pretty cool even now. Like, you don't see that kind of stuff often. True. True. I honestly don't remember Apocalypse. I don't remember playing it. I don't remember. I don't know it in a slightest, to be honest with you. I don't don't know it at all. Definitely, I have not come across that one. I mean... A game featuring Bruce Willis is interesting. Right? It gets really, it it received really average reviews, which kind of makes sense given that we've never heard of it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, Neversoft was working on Apocalypse, skateboarding simulation games were becoming increasingly popular. In 1997, Sega released an arcade cabinet called Top Skater in which you stand on a skateboard-like platform, which swung side-to-side or tilted. I've played Top Skater. Have you ever played Top Skater at the arcade? I can't say that I have, no. Well, you stood on a skateboard, and you used it to do tricks. So it was just like skating, but in an arcade. Cool. The soundtrack of the game consisted entirely of songs by the punk rock band Pennywise. It was a pretty good movie. (laughs) Two-parter. Okay. And as a fun bit of trivia... The director of Top Skater, Kenji Kano, went on to create the Crazy Taxi series. Hey, let's go. Hey, I know. That's a good series. I know. I tried fitting that in the schedule. I don't know where if I'm going to be able to either. So mm. a lot of games came out in like October, November. It's the holiday season stuff. It's hard to pick sometimes. Oh, I get it. I get it. In 1998, Electronic Arts published a game called Street Skater for the Sony PlayStation. And for whatever reason, probably because they were noticing it was becoming increasingly popular, Activision thought, hey, we'd like to get on this action. Skateboarding games are becoming popular with the youth. Also, this was when the X Games was kind of in its heyday. People were really watching and getting excited about um, all the things happening at the X Games, you know, including skateboarding. That was that was the draw, right? Right. So they, they being Activision, hired a studio to start working on a skateboarding sim. But I don't know what studio it was. Uh, can't find that. And their project, that project never even got off the ground. They couldn't even get it past the concept stage. Activision just was not impressed with their efforts in any way, shape, or form. But what Activision was impressed with was Neversoft's work on Apocalypse. Apocalypse was completed in only nine months. And it was good enough. And Activision wanted their skateboarding game to be finished in time for the 1999 Christmas season, which would put it in a similar timeline. So they pitched the idea of creating a skateboard game to Neversoft. And the team was on board. So early on, the development team at Neversoft would spend time at a bowling alley near the studio, playing and watching people uh, at the Top Skater arcade cabinet. They started their design of their game using Top Skater as its base, 
and began to watch the X Games to expand on the concept. Now, Top Skater has a racing element to it, and as the team observed real-life skaters, they found themselves drifting away from it because they made the decision early on to prioritize fun over realism as they began to like design the levels and work on the physics. And frankly, they just felt that racing on a skateboard wasn't much fun for very long. So they started development using the game engine that they had created for Apocalypse, and they worked up a functional prototype of the game. The prototype, in fact, used Bruce Willis's character from Apocalypse as his playable character. Nice. The first ever prototype of what would become Tony Hawk's Pro Skater was Bruce Willis on a skateboard in a playground like not a playground but like just a uh, an area you know so that there there is canon life confirmed of bruce willis doing a front side nollie kick kick flip there you go nice once the team had never soft had a working prototype they knew that they would need a professional skater on board to aid in the continued development of the game and of course who better to do that than one of the biggest names if not the biggest name in skateboarding at the time tony hawk so to September of 1998, Activision established contact with Tony Hawk and arranged for him to meet the team at Neversoft. Tony Hawk found himself impressed by Neversoft's devotion to skateboarding, as well as the controls and just overall look and feel the engine of the game's prototype. So he agreed to lend him his name and become involved in the continued development of the project. And in doing so, he also struck a very hard bargain that worked out really, really well for him. So Activision originally offered him a one-time buyout for permanent use of his name and likeness. And Tony Hawk turned that down so quick it wasn't even funny. Instead, he negotiated a royalty deal in which he would earn a percentage for every copy sold. As a result he would earn 10 times Activision's initial offer during the first two years of his involvement with the Tony Hawk Pro Skater series. Wow. Yeah. I've seen a documentary where he talks about it. Like, dude was cashing, like, million-dollar checks. Like, it was ridiculous, the money he was making. Tony Hawk held his end of the bargain. He would periodically spend time playing through the game's builds, and he provided feedback to the development team. He also personally selected other professional skaters to be in the game based on their skills, personality, and he wanted to be diverse. They, too, were able to negotiate a cut of the royalties. They got to select their own outfits and pick their special trick for the game. Now, at one point, the team at Neversoft tried to use motion capture to aid in the process, but this was still really early on. In it was like the infancy of motion te- motion capture technology, and they just couldn't make it work for them. They weren't able to get any results that they felt looked good or felt good with it uh, whatsoever. So the game, the first game, was pretty much entirely animated off of hand animated off of video footage, a lot of X game footage specifically. So, and aside from the skating, the development team added other touches. It was a game after all. While designing the the game, the team would gather at a table to throw out ideas. Um, you know, one of the main draws of the game in career mode is you have to do these objectives to go from level to level. They would draw a level and then ask this group of people what could be done with said level. 
taking ideas on objectives from various team members. And there's also the collection of videotapes, which is what the objectives facilitate. That was directly inspired by Super Mario 64 and its collection of all the stars. And there were concepts that didn't actually make it into the game. They include um, a level on a highway, a level on a jetty. There was also a scenario in which a player could lose a wheel and have to skate and complete objectives on only three wheels. Hmm. So there were things that they tried that didn't quite work. Interesting. I know. It kind of makes you think like, oh, what if, right? Oh, for, I, we always get into those situations with these, though. True statement. So the team at Neversoft continued to develop the game. They met their holiday season target, and the game was released for the Sony PlayStation on September 29th, 1999. It's a good thing, too, because there was a lot of hype for the game at that point, thanks to Tony Hawk. In June of 1999, at the X Games, he hit the world's first ever 900, which was a two and a half revolution aerial spin on a skateboard ramp. People were excited. They were excited for skateboarding. They were excited for Tony Hawk, and they were very excited for Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. They didn't originally have that trick in the game, and they actually added it late into the game's development because, you know, I mean, people wanted to try it. You have to capitalize on its popularity, right? Hey, Rob, you know what else is popular? What's that, Dave? Making a podcast. You know, they're popping up everywhere, and now everybody is thinking about making one. So you may be sitting there thinking, I have something really interesting to talk about, but I have no idea where to start. Well... We have something to help you with that. That's right, Rob. Zencaster. We do everything. Produce our whole podcast on Zencaster. Thanks to Zencaster's all-in-one podcasting suite, it's easier than ever to get started creating content of your own podcast. With Zencaster, it's also super easy to record. Everyone logs in using their web browser, and you just start recording a high-quality podcast right away. It also allows you to record up to 4K video with your guests, if that's how you'd like to present yourselves. And with Zencaster's multi-layered backups, you always have the highest quality recordings, even if the connection's unstable. And with Zencaster, you never have to worry about what you sound like. Zencaster's post-production process makes you sound buttery smooth. It automatically removes all those ums, ahs, all those awkward pauses gotta go to. You can set the right podcast loudness, reduce background noise. You can do everything with just the click of a single button. So if the thought of podcasting overwhelms you because you think you need tons of different tools and services, relax. Those days are over. With Zencaster's all-in-one podcasting platform, you can create your podcast all in one place and distribute it to Spotify, Apple, and other major destinations. So if you'd like to start your own podcast or you want to take your current podcast to the next level, we've got a deal for you. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use our offer code memory card lane and you'll get 30% off the first month of any Zencaster paid plan. So sign up for Zencaster today and you can experience the same ease in producing your own high quality podcast as we do each week. That's right. And speaking of high quality, Rob, the team at Neversoft had spent months working with Tony Hawk to create Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. So for those of you that have never played Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, which is so hard to believe at this point, it's a skateboarding video game. You take control of various famous skateboarders and you complete missions by performing skateboarding tricks and collecting objects. Um, do you remember any of the objectives at all? 
Um, honestly, the things that I remember most were scoring. We had to score a certain amount of points within a, a thing. Like it was just a, a score free for all kind of thing. And then collecting the skate. Yeah. Yeah. There were letters throughout the level and you had to collect all the letters to spell skate. I remember sp- like trick specific ones like grind this rail for this long. And I don't remember if it was a timer or a points thing, but I remember things like that, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, you had to keep the uh, the Combo. thing in the center as you're going. Yeah. So you had to tilt back and forth to make sure you weren't uh, that's falling. Right. That's right. So it had a career mode. Um, where you would complete these objectives and evolve your character's abilities. It had a free play mode where, where you would just skate wherever. It had a multiplayer mode with mini games like graffiti, trick attack, or horse. In each level of career mode, you had two minutes to complete five different objectives, which, like we said, would include tricks in a specific place or earning a certain score. You didn't have to do all five tricks in two minutes. You just had two minutes at a time to try to, you know, nail what you could nail. And then you could go back and start the clock over and do the next set. Right. Yeah, sounds right. There were also objectives to destroy certain objects like, I don't know, I'm guessing flower pots, maybe stuff like that. Does that sound right? I don't remember that myself. No, I don't remember the destruction. The multiplayer minigames were a lot of fun. Uh, graffiti was where you ha- could change level elements to your color by performing tricks instead of element. So, for instance, like whoever had the highest scoring trick on like a specific rail, they would turn that rail your color and you would earn points and then the highest point would win. Um, trick attack is getting the most points doing tricks and horse had each player doing a trick. The player with the lowest score earns a letter and then whomever spelled out horse would lose. Um, Now, for a lot of us, in particular, us punk rock and ska kiddos, one of the things that stuck out the most was the soundtrack, right? Indeed, yes. It was for the first time I can remember um, that the first time I'd ever heard my music as a punk rock kid represented in a video game. I, I, I mean, I know after that it became more mainstream, but I don't personally remember any games before that um, outside of these skateboarding games that ever had punk and ska music. So I'm sure someone's going to correct me on that. And go, bah, 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 bah. Oh, I'm sure. But hey, you know, this is the first one that we have memory of. And I, I, even I still now, it's not not very commonplace. The soundtrack for the original Tony Hawk is fantastic. It includes music from the Dead Kennedys, Primus, the Suicide Machines, and the Vandals. It also includes Superman by Goldfinger, which went on to kind of still is the unofficial theme song for the entire series. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's it's funny because I was listening to that song the other day and had a coworker come into my office. He's like, wasn't that in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater? Like, oh, yeah, that that's that's exactly it. Had the same thing happen. I was listening to Goldfinger. It wasn't Superman. It was 99 Red Balloons. Of course. I had had a coworker come in and go, hey, this sounds like Tony Hawk. And I was like, yeah, that's because it's it's (laughs) it's the band that does like the the song everyone knows from Tony Hawk. So that's funny. um, Same same thing recently. I. Played a lot of Tony Hawk. I remember there weren't a lot of games back then. Even now, there's not a lot of games I complete like 100 percent complete. 
And I can say definitively that Tony Hawk was one of the games that I obsessively played until I had finished every single objective and every single level. I definitely 100%ed Tony Hawk Pro Skater. For oh, sure. so you, you found all of the tapes, you found all of the skate letters, you did the whole nine yards? Yep. I Damn, I know I know impressive. for a, I know for a fact at least the first two games in the series, uh, I completely completed these two games. Um, they were just a lot of fun, and it was different. Like it was a it was super cool because that was like I wasn't a skateboarder, but like with the music that's your scene, you know, like yeah, man, it's the punk rock scene. So that got you into it, and then it was just it was a lot of fun. It was fun stringing the tricks together. It was fun doing the tricks. The game felt good. The game felt good. It, it was just it was great. It's fantastic, you know? Oh, yeah, I, I definitely played the hell out of the, uh, the initial pro skaters. Um, I definitely have more time in other series that came out after this. But I this was definitely one growing up that uh, was just it, it was a lot of fun, especially, you know, at the time I wanted to get into skateboarding. I was dog crap at it and still am to this day. So, uh, you know, now it's one of those things. It's a pipe dream applied to do it in video games. Cause I can't do it in real life, right. but, uh, it, it was a lot of fun. It was, um, it was definitely a different, different style of game and not one that we see often now. I mean, skate was the last recent game for skating that I can think of. And I mean, it was its own thing. It wasn't quite the same, but you know, I mean, that's any game series are going to put their spin on it. True. We weren't the only ones who liked Tony Hawk Pro Skater. The really? game was the game was good. Ooh. It averages about ninety four percent across all the reviews it was given. It sold millions of copies across all the platforms it was developed and ported to, which include the PlayStation, Nintendo sixty four, Game Boy Color has a version, the Dreamcast has a version, and the N Gage has a version. Not bad for a game that was developed by a 12 person team within a year. No, not at all. Not bad at all. So that success allowed Neversoft to grow. They hoped to turn Tony Hawk's Pro Skater series into a yearly franchise like most professional sports are. You know, your Maddens and NHLs and NBAs of the world were, were yearly. And that's how they envisioned it after the first one was successful, that they could they they too could have a yearly sports franchise around skateboarding. They managed to hold true to this with the release of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 in 2000, which took everything that the first game did and just did it better. The second Pro Skater is the best reviewed PlayStation game of all time with its aggregate score on Metacritic being a 98%. That makes it the second best rated game ever on Metacritic. Damn. It's, it sits just behind Ocarina of Time, which sits at a 99%. Wow. Didn't know that Pro Skater 2 was one of the best reviewed games of all time, did you? Not, not even a little bit, no. Would never guess that one. <laughs> not even a little bit, no. <laughs> They managed to score again the following year when Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3 was released in October 2001. On Metacritic, it manages to maintain a 97% rating. That ties it with Grand Theft Auto 3 for the highest rated PlayStation 2 game. The third Pro Skater has a few other distinctions. 
it was the final official release title for the N64, which was discontinued three months prior to its release. It was also the first PlayStation 2 game to feature online play, and it was a launch title for the Nintendo GameCube. Oh. Right? I didn't realize that. By the time they released Tony Hawk Pro Skater 4 in 2002, the franchise was among the best-selling in the entire world. During this period of success and continued growth for Neversoft, they grew from 12 employees to a little over 150. So big growth. Got what they wanted, right? Successful yearly franchise. Yeah. In 2003... They took a different approach to their games, fearing that people would get bored doing playing the same thing over and over and over, and created a story-based version of the game called Tony Hawk's Underground. They continued this approach with a direct sequel in 2004, Tony Hawk's Underground 2, which is still the only direct sequel in the entire Tony Hawk series. In 2005, they continued the story era with Tony Hawk's American Wasteland. Did you play? You said you played the Undergrounds, right? No, I did not play the Undergrounds. And admittedly, I forgot all about American Wasteland. I did know about it. But after Pro Skater 4, that's kind of when I stopped playing the Pro or like the Tony Hawk series. Well, yeah, you knew there was else. one other one, but we'll get to that. Um. So, yeah, so they had the story based ones, Underground and Underground 2. Um, they had American Wasteland. American Wasteland, they kind of fumbled on it a little bit. They advertised the game as a huge open world, but what it was was actually like several levels connected through loading tunnels like alleys, which was harshly criticized. Um, so they worked on the concept of an open world skateboarding game, and they fulfilled that promise with the next entry in the series, which is Project 8, which was released in late 2006. Any experience with Project 8 at all? No, that one doesn't ring a bell. In 2007, they continue with the concepts that they introduced in Project 8 with the next entry in the series, which is Tony Hawk's Proving Ground. And then speaking of which, you know, you had just mentioned that the last game that you thought in the series or, you know, last skateboarding game you remember was Skate, which is true. By this time, Electronic Arts had created their own skateboarding series and it had become a major competitor to the Tony Hawk series. Um, so you have skate and you have it selling against proving grounds and skate actually sold proving grounds on a two to one ratio. Yeah, I'm not surprised at that. And Activision paid attention to this. They believed that the franchise was past its prime. They thought it was suffering from yearly product fatigue. And so they made the decision to basically take Neversoft off of the Pro Skater series um, and they shifted Neversoft's workforce over to other franchises, including Guitar Hero and Call of Duty. So in 2008, the Tony Hawk franchise was handed over to another studio, Robomoto. In 2009, Robomoto released their first entry in the series, which was called Tony Hawk's Ride. It was a skating game that came with a skateboard controller. This was them trying to capitalize on the fad at the time, which was motion gaming and peripherals, you know, such as those seen in Guitar Hero and Rock Band and, um, you know, motion gaming. The Wii was still a thing 
and the connect would have been this would have been connect era too so motion gaming and peripherals was the fad and they tried to capitalize it with the skateboard controller and a game called tony hawk ride it, yep, that was the last one in the Tony Hawk series that I did play. Um, I did never play it. Tell me about Tony Hawk Ride. I I probably put about 20 minutes into it and then was like, yep, I'm good. It was one of those ones we got on sale very cheap at like at Big, Big Lots. Lots. Yeah. Exactly. So it was just, you know, I was not very impressed. And then the stupid controller sat and sat and sat around for so long just collecting dust. I, I was not that impressed with it. I don't know if it was that the controls just wouldn't quite catch everything or if it was just like, you know, as a non skater trying to play a skate game on a skate controller is difficult. Um, like my hands work a lot better than my legs and feet do is in terms of knowing how to play things. So, well, the um, fact that the fact that you bought it off of the shelf at Big Lots should tell you everything that you need to know about. Oh the game. yeah, no, 100%. Uh, <laughs> if, if you're buying it there, let newsflash the game did not do well. <laughs> it was an epic failure. In fact, there were multiple publications that caused it, call it the worst game of 2009. A couple of them actually, I think one of them specifically said it was also the biggest disappointment of 2009. Yeah. Um, it, it was, it was, it was not good. And despite this, they released a sequel to it called shred. Wow. I don't know. I don't, I don't even never know. heard of it. I don't even know. Um, shred was, uh, skateboarding and snowboarding. You could use a controller either, either well. Uh, and Shred, uh, um, it managed to sell 3,000 3, 3, copies on its first week of release. That's it. Wow. Damn, that's something. So Activision wanted Robomoto to keep developing games in the series, but it had been a while since any game in the series was commercially successful. So the, the development team at Robomoto decided to like bring back the classics. In 2012, they released Tony Hawk Pro Skater HD, which was download only for starters. It was a collection of popular levels from Tony Hawk 1, 2, and 3. It was, I mean, it was moderately successful. They didn't really do anything with the game, so a lot of critics said that it just felt aged it felt dated you know so if all you do is you know put a shiny coat of paint on an old game and you don't think about any of the other quality of life upgrades that could come with you know 13 years of technological updates it's gonna feel that way you know what i mean i mean yeah i feel like it could go either way though when you really think about it because like Either people will want it as it were with updated graphics or they want to play a reimagined version of the game without it changing too many story elements. Maybe. Maybe it, it, so. It's, it really just depends on the person. Like, I think it'd be really cool just to play a reskin version and get the same feeling of like, wow, this is super clunky, but at least it looks good. Like, this is exactly what my childhood was like, but it looks better. Kind of like you with RuneScape, um, old school RuneScape's HD. True. Um, it's it's right. the same old clunky thing behind it, but you like the fancy visuals, whereas, you know, I like the old school stuff in that aspect, but I still think it's cool to go into those new graphics and say, hey, here's the same game I love, but with cool looking graphics. It's fair. So, yeah. In mid-2015, Activision and Robomoto tried one more time to find success with the series. Uh, they wanted to work on Tony Hawk Pro Skater 5. 
the licensing deal between Tony Hawk and Activision was set to expire at the end of 2015. So they rushed development on Pro Skater 5. Development occurred over the course of only a few months. The game was released mostly unfinished with very little promotion. And um, it shows. Critics have called it worse looking than most of the PlayStation 2 era games. Uh, It actually has the fourth lowest score of any PS4 game and the fifth lowest score of any Xbox One title. So it is very poorly received. Yeah, don't bother with Pro Skater 5. It, it's 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 the bottom of the bottom of the series. Damn, that's upsetting to hear. So needless to say, when Tony Hawk's license was up at the end of 2015, he, he did not renew it. <laughs> Understandably. And for this and other reasons that really I couldn't find, Robomoto was shut down shortly thereafter. They went out of business. Tony Hawk did eventually produce another game bearing his name uh, without Activision's involvement in 2018. It was a mobile game called Tony Hawk Skate Jam. That's the only thing he's done since that license has expired. Um, Activision, as part of the agreement, got to keep control. They lost they lost Tony Hawk moving forward, but they kept the Pro Skater series. So they still have licensing rights to everything they had created up until that point. And with that, does that mean that they have the ability to remake them? They do, and they did. For, oh. And it was and it was great, too. So in 2020, a studio called Vicarious Visions remastered the first two Pro Skater games, and it was released as Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2, which was received very well, actually. Oh, nice. It writes well. It is recognized as what a remake should be in a modern age. They took the first two tony hawk games and they gave it those quality of life upgrades and they gave it the modern shiny coat of paint while maintaining the spirit of tony hawk and everyone who plays it is like it's a nostalgia blast you know that doesn't feel like it's from 1999 so they did well that's awesome to hear actually yeah so you should pick it up we don't know what's gonna go on with any future games in the pro skater series you know they could technically make another pro skater without tony hawk At the time, Vicarious Visions was also working on the Diablo series. It was the game, for instance, that helped put together that Diablo 2 remake that we played a bunch of. Mm -hmm. And they were part of Vicarious Visions as part of the Activision conglomerate. So after Tony Hawk, the studio was kind of merged into the Blizzard side of the business, renamed Blizzard Albany, and they now support the Diablo series like Diablo 4, for instance. So, okay. So as I noted before, as I noted before, Neversoft didn't stay on the Tony Hawk series. In 2006, Activision bought the Guitar Hero series from Harmonix, and they chose Neversoft to become the developer that would take up the helm of Guitar Hero. So Neversoft actually ended up creating several games in that series. They created Guitar Hero 3, Guitar Hero Aerosmith, Guitar Hero Metallica, Guitar Hero World Tour, uh, Guitar Hero 5, and uh, Guitar Hero Warriors of Rock. And then funny enough, after that series, um, all the Guitar Hero games were actually created by Vicarious Visions. Oh. Neat little neat little roundabout thing there. Um, but after Guitar Hero uh, Warriors of Rock, Neversoft was taken off of the Guitar Hero series and they ended up having to lay off like 50 employees at that time. Oh, wow. Um, 
in May of 2014, it was reported that Neversoft had merged with Call of Duty creators Infinity Ward to create a super studio. And because of this merge, Neversoft was declared officially closed, defunct, shuttered on July 10th, 2014, which was 20 years to the day of its founding. Damn, I didn't realize that happened. All of its remaining employees attended a ceremony in which they burned a sculpture of their logo, which had been a part of their offices uh, prior to that. Oh, okay. So there you go. It's kind of weird. Well, I mean, they burned a logo. They burned a sculpture that that Neversoft is gone. I think that it's a giant eyeball. They burned an eyeball yep. sculpture. Uh, I remember the eyeball of Neversoft. So would have been kind of um, weird to see a giant flaming eyeball. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, never, you know, the Pro Skater series is, you know, Activision has it. Rumors had r- the rumor was that they were remastering 3 and 4. Um that was floated in an interview somewhere, but uh that was no one's heard anything about that. Um and Neversoft is closed. They got swallowed up and Guitar Hero's nothing anymore. <laughs> yeah, I got that right. You know what I mean? Like everything in this is like they all had their heyday, and then and then what? Poof! I mean, even though I I didn't even know Tony Hawk made another game that wasn't like it's a mobile game. Who makes mobile games? You know? I I mean that's the the way of the future. There's so many that are coming out that are still seeming like doing well enough, surprisingly. So that's true. Very we'll see true. it still happen. And especially very, as phones become more advanced. Very, very true. So, but yeah, a whole lot of, a whole lot of, a whole lot going on in there. And, um, and, and, and hopefully we get some new Tony Hawk. I would just like, I, I think there's still a market for these games. And I think, I hope that they saw that because from what I understand, the remaster, you know, Pro Skater 1 and 2 sold moderately well. And I hope that between Tony Hawk or Activision, they all realize that like when you make another game in this series that is good, people want to play it. The problem wasn't that we had product fatigue. The problem was is that you decided that you wanted to make a game that wasn't Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Like for Tony Hawk's Underground, they went story mode and then they realized that people were ticked off that that objective base mode was gone. So after that, they started to include what's called a classic mode in the games, which is where you could play an objective based mode on top of the story. But it, that was never the focus. And when they got away from that, like it was like, eh, like you guys got rid of what people like, you know, it's not like I, I guess they have. I was going to say it's not like Madden one day decided we're going to be a story mode, but they kind of did with their various career modes. So, yeah, a little uh, bit. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um but I don't think the problem was I don't think the problem was that we were tired of Tony Hawk games. I think the problem was, is they stopped making good Tony Hawk games after the third one personally. So no, I I'm kind of agreeing on that. And um, I hope that that remake showed them that if they go back to making a good one, there is still a market for it. And plus we would love, love those, those awesome soundtracks all over again. Indeed, yes. Uh, You know, Activision and um, Malibu Comics, Bassmaster Classics, there's a lot of of this old classic stuff. We've kind of dabbled in some of that before. You know, Activision has a really interesting history 
as a company that, you know, people wanted to uh, be a third party publisher because they were tired of the way they were being treated by Atari. So they left Atari and they formed Activision. We actually covered that on an old episode. You know, we've got lots of interesting topics like Activision and some others in our um in our archives and of course you can check out old episodes by going to our website at www.memorycardlane.com rob what else can people find on our website well dave people can find calendars future uh episodes that we're going to be talking about we talked earlier about some episodes that we have coming up for the new year so you can kind of get an idea of what we have coming up for the end of this year and eventually see our calendar for next year maybe talk about what you have some cool little memories for those episodes. You can also find links to things such as our Patreon for the cheap price of $1. You can help support Dave and I to access to oh, $2. My apologies uh, for the small price of $2. You can get Inflation. access to things uh, indeed uh, for the small price of $2. You can find <laughs> things such as our unrecorded, unedited episodes, ad free episodes. You can find links to things such as our discord. where you can come hang out with Dave, talk games, talk crap, tell Dave how wrong he is. And speaking of David being wrong, you can find links to our social media where I am on multiple platforms as Rob underscore O underscore Raptor and Dave. I can be found on various platforms as David underscore is underscore wrong. Well, each week, ladies and gentlemen, we'll tell you a story about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the topic, what it took from the world as its inspiration or what it gave back to the world in its legacy. One of the best parts about doing this podcast week in week out is that we learn every time we do research for a new topic we inevitably learn something new and then we get to teach you about that because when you teach and you research to teach you learn it's a beautiful cycle in recognition of the learning in recognition of learning because that's what we enjoy doing each week we like to go around table and talk about what we take away from every topic so rob what did you learn today well, I think that the the big thing for me would probably be that the short amount of time. I mean, yeah, it seems to be a recurring thing that a lot of the great games of the old days were made in very short time. But it's just it still always blows my mind that this game was made in such a short time. When you hear about things now taking years and years to develop to be able to get asked in 98 and have it ready by holidays of 99 is just mind blowing. And for a 12 person team. I agree. And still one that to this day is the second best rating ever on Metacritic. I mean, that was the second. Sorry, one. that was the second one. But, but still, I get what you're saying. No, I, I mean, get the what same. You're it was still accomplishing the same thing. It was still a yeah. small team that did it in a short amount of time. And it's it just it's insane. I agree. And it was such an influential series, especially for those of us that love skating and ska. I agree. So I've, that's my I've... big takeaway. What about yourself, Dave? I have been giggling all week at the thought that there is a prototype of this game with Bruce Willis on a skateboard. <laughs> you know, that that was a close second for me because uh, that would be very interesting to see. And I've been thinking because, you know, I, I really like doing episodes that aren't just so specific to one title. You know, we've done a few. We've done a few that have expanded out of it, like. Uh, we did one on musical games of the 80s and 90s, and we did one on books for Frankenstein, and, and we did one on Authority and Legend. And I've been thinking that like we keep tripping on these really interesting prototypes. I know it's not the first time. I can't think of any others. I was wrecking my brain as I was getting ready to answer this question and other ones. 
But I know I've said that before where I've been really amused by the state of a prototype of a game because it's been weird or different or interesting in comparison to like, which one did we talk about? Oh, the Bioshock one where we talked about all the different iterations of Bioshock as it prototyped. Like at one point, the story was going to be about Nazi scientists, you know? Yeah. Um, I like very much the concept of all of these versions of these games that don't exist and the prototypes that don't exist. Like Resident Evil 1.5, they made a whole version of Resident Evil that they scrapped because they didn't like the way it was going. And they, they started from scratch and made Resident Evil 2 as we know it now. I get a really big kick out of all all these these versions that don't exist anymore, these prototypes. And for whatever reason, I really enjoy knowing that Bruce Willis was doing tricks on a skateboard and that's what sold this game to Tony Hawk. Because realistically, that's what it was. Tony Hawk was sold by Bruce Willis on a skateboard. Oh, 100%. Everyone's got their idols and it's obvious that Bruce was Tony's <laughs> and got him into skating. And I just, that just has tickled my funny bone all week. It really has. So it is pretty awesome. All right. Well, that's the story of Tony Hawk's pro skater. I hope you enjoyed it. And before I take it into next week, Rob, is there anything that you'd like to add to today's episode? Well, as always, Dave, I do want to take a quick moment to say thank you so much to all of our listeners. It means the world to us. And we hope that you uh, get to shred some gnar while hanging out with us. That's very true. Next so, week, we're going to next week, we're going to take a look at a graphic adventure video game for which a new video game engine was created. It was a video game engine that would become the basis for a lot of incredibly popular adventure games in the late 80s and early 90s. Originally released for the Commodore 64 and Apple II on October 5th, 1987, Maniac Mansion was a successful game that influenced many graphic adventure games that came after it. We'll be taking a look at the game, the history of its creators, the scum engine created for it, and the legacy they all left behind. So join us again next week, same time, same place, as we get all manic with it on yet another trip down memory card lane. Do the thing. 